This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. One of uh, Doug and Holly's major concerns was about new teachings in uh, that apostles and prophets can bring because supposedly they're still laying a foundation for the church. They're laying a foundation with these new teachings, including you can travel to heaven. Uh, you can talk to the voice of, or you can talk to interact with the voice of martyred Christians, uh, teaching people to find secret books in heaven and declare the truths of these books, uh, teaching people doctrines like the afterlife of pets based not on scripture, but experiences in heaven. And so these apostles and pro- so those are actually real teachings. And, and so I guess there's kind of two layered things in here. One is, can you outright condemn all of those teachings? And two, do you believe that apostles and prophets are still laying a foundation for the church by giving the church new teachings that have not previously been revealed? I have seen people now building whole ministries based on alleged revelation received that's outside of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. very, very dangerous. Do I believe, so back to the specific teachings, do I believe that someone can go to heaven your death experience or in prayer be caught up in a vision sure. of heaven it, it it happened to paul yeah i believe it can happen can we base doctrine on their experience no everything must be Amen. tested by the word so in that sense to say jesus told me this while i was in heaven i have to test that like anything else by scripture uh everything else you, you listed to me is is utterly bizarre and unscriptural and potentially dangerous You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. We're talking about the new apostolic reformation. Is it a thing or not? We've got Dr. Michael Brown on the other line. Before I introduce you you to him, I want to remind you that we've got this brand new uh, school of ministry that we just released, the Word and Spirit School of Ministry. It's an online discipleship course. So not just videos that you watch, but it's actually got FaceTime with us, your instructors, Michael, Michael, and I, Elijah. We're jumping on. We're doing questions. So you watch your videos, right? Then you uh, do your homework assignment. After that, you jump on to a live Q&A with us where we engage with your questions that you got from homework and watching the video. And we break you out into small groups where you can practice the gifts. So we teach you prophecy, tongues, healing, uh, deliverance, interpretation of tongues. All these different things are packed into this 13-week discipleship course. And it's being endorsed by 
all kinds of people. You know, we're, we're gonna be talking a little about discernment today, but some of the guys that we've done discernment videos on endorsed the video, right? So like guys like Chris Reed have endorsed this uh, School of Ministry program, Mike Bickle, uh, Sam Storms, Jack Deere, Craig Keener, lots of really great guys have come alongside and said, hey, this is a wonderful course that'll help you grow, uh, man, in your knowledge of God's word and the power of God's spirit. So I'd encourage you to check out that course today. Wow, that was a big shameless plug before introducing Dr. Brown. So without further ado, Dr. Brown, tell us a little about yourself in your ministry before we dive into our topic today. Sure thing. I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus, came to faith in 1971 as a heroin shooting LSD using 16-year-old rock drummer and uh, lead now Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. I've led different ministry schools and teach at different schools. So that's been a big part of what I've done over the years. Uh, the three R's, the three great burdens of our ministry, revival in the church, gospel-based moral and cultural revolution of the society, and redemption in Israel. So I've written over 40 books, have a daily live radio show, and have preached the gospel around the world and desire to see God's people healthy, thriving, so that as Jesus touches us, we can touch the world around us. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So you have written more books than lots of people have read. That's that's impressive, Dr. Brown. So, uh, hey, we're excited to talk to you about the new apostolic reformation. And uh, Josh and I are continuationists, as we know you are too, uh, Dr. Brown. And, uh, and in this space, this, is, uh, this just phrase, new apostolic reformation, is itself a lightning rod where, uh, I mean, so much controversy around it. And, and on one side, it feels like everything gets thrown into the new apostolic reformation, just throw bucket of, and it's a, it's a way that charismatics can be dismissed like, oh, you're just NAR and which NAR is the, of course, short term, uh, the acronym for it. New apostolic reformation started, uh, with, I think Peter Wagner was the one who, who used that label. And, uh, and, and so we want to talk a little bit about, um, is, is the NAR really a thing? And, uh, and, and we'll talk some about uh, Doug Givet and, uh, and Holly Pivik, and, uh, or Givet, I think is how you say his last name. And so they've been on the show before. And so we're going we're gonna to talk uh, through it a little bit. And, and real central to the NAR, and, I, and so I'm, uh, Dr. Brown, I'm, I know I'm not educating you, but this is for our viewers, uh, but real central to it is that this, there's this new reformation that God is bringing, and it is through apostles in the church. And these uh, uh, apostles, uh, I mean, th the way that they frame it in their book is, uh, and, and this is Doug and Holly, is that these apostles are, uh, they're laying a foundation with new teachings and new revelations and so on. So we just kind of want to talk through that because that makes some of us uncomfortable uh, yeah. when we talk about new teachings. And, uh, and specifically, here's, here's where I want to start, uh, Dr. Brown, is just with the question of the question of apostleship and specifically as it relates to the 12 apostles. You know, we read in Revelation 21 that the 12 apostles have a special place in the New Jerusalem. Their names are written on the foundation stones. And so uh, just starting with maybe potential areas of, of agreement, do you believe that there is a special place for the 12 apostles? Or do you believe that God is like multiplying Peter's and John's and, uh, and, and the rest of the 12 today? And there's Matthias's walking around with the same kind of authority and the same uh, the same kind of ministry that the original 12 had? Uh, is there continuity, discontinuity? How would you understand that? So it's clear in the New Testament that there were more people called apostles than the 12. 
but the 12 stand alone. The 12 have an authority in God. The 12 were eyewitnesses to the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There will never be any duplication of those 12. Everyone that I've worked with that believes in apostolic ministry today makes a distinction between the big A apostles, the 12, and the little A apostles, people like Barnabas and others in the New Testament who are explicitly called apostles, say as in Acts 14, 14. So the apostles as eyewitnesses, as the initial ones chosen, some of them writers of scripture, stand alone. In fact, that was one of the tests of early New Testament books. Was it written by an apostle or a colleague of an apostle? That was one of the key tests. So they will never be repeated or duplicated. Do I believe that there are apostles today, little a apostles? Do I believe that there have been apostles through church history, although not called by those names? Yes. I believe there have been apostles through New Testament church history, but just not called by that name. I believe that there are apostles today who have functions that are unique, just like prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, each have unique functions that are important for the body. But no, no one has the authority, the stature of the 12, and no one ever will. That's, that's, an, that's good and, and helpful. That's something we agree on here. Uh, in some areas, I, I think if you were to ask uh, many in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, what would you believe about apostles? They'll answer just kind of like you said, big A apostle, little a apostle will say that these had a unique authority and power in the local church that the, that the lower a apostles don't have. Now, some don't have tight theological language, and it's harder to follow some of that. But let me ask you a question about some of like the spiritual um, benefits of having an apostle. This is one of the things that Doug and Holly talk about, something that we disagree with. I think that you probably disagree with as well, but I'm curious, do you think that there is like a spiritual power that if you sit yourself underneath an apostle's, you know, ecclesiological authority, that somehow you're going to be a more fruitful disciple maker, evangelist, uh, you know, preacher, if you set under an apostle. And, and I want to make a clear delineation, not that someone that has oversight over you is helping you, uh, you know, assimilate, helping, giving you plans and programs and ways to communicate better. Not that they're helping you physically, but there's some kind of spiritual overflow that comes from submitting yourself to apostolic reign. Right. Let me first say that, that I spent uh, four plus hours, four and a half hours together with, with Doug and Holly at the invitation of Brandon Kimber, who is the uh, producer director of the uh, American, American Gospel. Gospel film. Mm -hmm. And uh, he obviously would be very much in agreement with their position and less so with my position on charismatic issues and other issues. Uh, but it was to have dialogue and, and I'm glad we had the dialogue. I believe it can, it'll prove fruitful. I have the utmost respect for them in the midst of some differences that we have. I have many, many areas in common with them in terms of common concerns. So back to your question, but I wanted to say it at the outset, so, so people know my heart towards them is respectful. I do mm -hmm. not consider them hypercritics or destructive critics, although I definitely have differences with some of their methodology. But there is no magic bullet. There is, there's no magic formula where if you just get near someone, that you get special benefits. Uh, are you blessed or the things you receive if you are submitted to God and in right relationship to your spiritual leadership? Of course, that's in every area of life in ministry, just like a child honoring mother and father. So if you honor your pastor 
and you serve the church and, and you're in, rightly submitted to God's authority, there, there are blessings that come as we do that. And it could well be that the unique grace that's on a particular person becomes much more accessible to you when you're around that person, you learn from them. And sometimes the grace that's on them can come to you. That's going to be the same with someone who's an apostle, a prophet, evangelist. It's all going to be the same. The idea that there is some special blessing, if you just come under an apostle, that now you get this special blessing, I find nothing in scripture to support that. And have you found that in your interactions with leaders who are labeled New Apostolic Reformation, would you say that they would agree with you on that or that they would disagree with you on that? The ones, let's just say this, these are not conversations I ever remember having with any because it never came up. I don't, I don't know anyone that holds to this view. If they do hold to it, I'm not aware of it. You know, they wrote it somewhere, said it somewhere. I'm not aware of it, but the people that I've worked with colleagues over the years, because I work with a wide spectrum in the body, lots of different people. I've never heard that from them. The, The ones that I know, the men that I know that would be considered apostles and would be listed as part of, quote, NAR uh, by Doug and Holly, they're servant leaders. They're not abusive in their authority, nor do they think there's something magical about it. Now, again, maybe they do hold to those views, and I'm not aware of it. But I've, sure. I've never okay. worked with anyone any more uh, or any less than just in a local church that you may have someone saying, some pastor that abuses their authority, you honor the man of God and special benefits will come and you give right. more to me and special benefits will mm-hmm. come. So anything can be abused. And all the more, if you use the title apostle, there's potential for more abuse because of the wrong understanding that can come with that. That's why some don't like to use the title at all. They feel it's, it's too easily abused. So it's very important that we clarify and define. But we are all called to be servant leaders. And, and the ones I've worked with over the years, that's their heart as well. Servant leaders, if they have authority, people recognize it and come under it uh, to, to align themselves in right order, just like you know, getting in right relationship with your denomination or your you know, church of the city or something like that. But again, there, there are a lot of misconceptions. And that, that's something that in my interaction with Doug and Holly, they read different quotes to me from different leaders, some of whom I've worked with in different ways, not, not super closely over the years. And I said, you agree with this quote? I said, nope, don't agree, don't agree, don't agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I, I contacted some of them after and said, hey, just let you know, some things came up and I, I publicly disagreed with you. In the midst of also saying, but I've worked with these people and the impression you're getting from the quote is not not the reality of how they serve and how they live. Maybe something's being missed here in the larger context. Yeah, I think that uh, the first time we just happened to to read a couple of books that were brought to our attention, like, hey, this one's concerning. Would you read one of them was Courts of Heaven, the other one was Physics of Heaven that were brought to our attention. And and that was one of the things that Robert Henderson had said in, in Courts of Heaven. And again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot at all, um, uh, because again, not with Robert specifically, not, not with Robert More specifically, the, the idea. But but to say that mm-hmm. there is a concept I, I, that I've seen uh, in charismaticism where that is a, a per- prevalent idea that they have this kind of power. And, and one of the things that Robert says in his book was, if you try to go in war against a principality in the courts of heaven, against like a principality of Greece, and you don't have an apostle of Greece that you and your church are submitted to, then you won't have authority in the courts of heaven to overthrow 
that principality. And again, I don't, I don't think that that is something that you would hold. It's certainly not something that we would hold. But again, it's, it's only to say that there is someone somewhere that is at least making well, that claim. who's getting invited yeah, yeah. in lots uh, of places and speaking in lots of churches. Sure. Who, and if you associate with them, then you're guilt by that association. <laughs> right. But I, I mean, I think yeah. it's legitimate, though, like that. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't invite someone who's going to teach those kind of things in my church. Oh, no, and I sure think not. I'm accountable for opening my pulpit up to certain people. So, But not on the grounds of the apostle has spiritual authority, on the grounds that they, you're supposed to talk to dead martyrs, you're supposed to you know, talk to angels, you're supposed to go find secret books that are written about you in heaven. I mean, it's a very intricate right. system. So we, we've done a whole episode on on courts of heaven. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, I, that, that kind of kind of tails into the second question, Dr. Brown, and, and if you need, feel free to you know, uh, yeah, let, you me, know let me just respond that. briefly. Yeah, yeah please. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't believe Robert Henderson and I have, have ever met. I've never read anything he's, he's written or heard any of his teaching. I'm aware of course of the concept of courts of heaven, but don't know much about it because I've not uh, followed it. But that quote, if that's an accurate quote, I absolutely disagree with. Sure. I do not find that as a biblical concept. Now, I also don't believe that we are to spend most of our time rebuking principalities, powers, things like that. Amen. John Paul Jackson, a prophetic brother who's with the Lord now, wrote a whole book warning Christians about engaging principalities and, and things like that and saying that, that when we're engaging demons, it's you're encountering someone that may be demonized in your, your ministry and deliverance or something like that. The concept that I would agree with is that if, if you want to deal with some demonic stronghold over a city and there certainly are these things and we know in the book of daniel the 10th chapter that there mm -hmm. are angelic rulers over countries good and bad and if you want to do that then you 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 need the authority of the church of the city in other words the church of the city comes together the leadership be the pastors the elders of the city they come together they seek god together they cry out i'll give you an example in the 1980s in Richmond, Virginia, that became the number one murder capital of America in terms of per capita, how many people were being killed. It was one person a day, but per capita, it made it the murder capital of America. An intercessor who was very much behind the scenes, very much not a, not a, a public presence, met with the pastors of the city in Richmond and said, what's, what's the stronghold you are dealing with in the city? Well, this is a, this is a terrible spirit of, of violence and murder that, that we're dealing with. So they gathered every morning and they, they prayed together. I think it was 6 a.m. Uh, numerous pastors from all over the city. They cried out to God together. I'm sure they spent time in fasting. I got there right after 28 days without a murder. If I remember correctly, this was the mid 80s. I think it was 28 days without a murder. And then uh, on that next day, I think there was maybe a triple homicide or something like that. But the numbers had still let up dramatically. They read to me, these pastors at this meeting that I was speaking at, read a, a note from the, the mayor saying, I don't know who's doing this, but whoever's doing it, keep it up. Praise and God. then the pastors mm. stopped meeting and praying and the murder rate jumped back up. Yeah. And I'm sure this, is, this can be found if people search the records. Yeah, the point is, is right. just like uh, if, if we're praying for national revival, it's going to take the Church of America, leaders across America, crying out. So conceptually, the idea of taking on something nationally without doing it together with nat national leadership, 
whatever we're taking on, whatever we're praying for and crying out for, it's unlikely to see an answer. The book of Esther, the Jewish people fast together for three days and they get a national result. But the idea that you need to have an apostle to take this on, no, I do not see that as scriptural. I see no evidence anywhere in the New Testament whatsoever that an apostle today carries that unique authority that is so far beyond other believers that unless you have that person, you can't tackle, even if we were supposed to tackle something like this. I don't see that right. at all. The problem is that I'm in relationship with lots of people. And maybe you guys are in the area and it's, hey, come on my radio show. Okay. Right. Now the next day, some critic says, well, do you know on one show three years ago, they said this? Well, no, I don't know. Because I know you guys <laughs> a little been together with you a few times. But no, I don't. I don't have time to watch all the shows. And the but same we way, you, we don't have enough time to watch all the shows, Dr. Brown. Don't feel bad. Exactly. I know exactly. you want to watch all of Remnant Radio. You, of you course, watch three Remnant Radio episodes a week, don't you, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Brown? Naturally. Look, I, I, uh, I belong to an organization, and someone said, yeah, but look on this webpage, there's a statement. So I, I know the people in the organization, so I join out of friendship. I didn't look at every page. And so if something is a prominent teaching, yes, I, I better know about that. I better be responsible before I invite this person on my platform. But many times, you know somebody for other teaching. You don't know about this. So before we condemn someone guilt by association on any side, on either side, let's find out what they actually know. I even know of people who spoke at conferences only to be mortified when they got there to find out the spirit and tenor of the conference was different than they were expecting. Yeah. But at that point, to save the people public embarrassment, they went on with it. So John 7, 24, don't judge by outward appearance, but judge righteous judgments. Yeah. Amen. That's okay. Good. Uh, so the example you gave about Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So I think everybody here, probably most of our, our viewers or listeners, if they're listening or, or, or watching, they hear that story and they think if they're Christians, praise God, that's a powerful story. Um, but there will be some who say, you know, you have to be a special apostle or a special prophet in order to initiate that kind of thing. I think what I hear you saying is like, hey, there's there's power when the church gets together. An apostle yes. might be a ringleader, might bring some people together because they have a vast network, but but there's nothing inherent in the role of apostle or prophet that it's like you can move in spirit, strategic spiritual level warfare that other people can't. It's more just power in the church whenever we're gathering. Am I hearing you right? Or yes, is it possible? Absolutely. Is it true that an apostle or prophet has special power for strategic level spiritual warfare in cities? I, I don't see that in the New Testament. I simply don't see okay. it in the Bible. Amen. If, yeah. if it had so been that, one of the 12, uh, that, that could have been the case. But even there, uh, you know, they had spiritual authority. The New Testament doesn't specifically tell us that without them, you couldn't have done certain things. All the more, a little a apostle. But look, here's the thing. Uh, Doug and Holly really emphasized the issue of the office of the apostle. And they say there's no such office of apostle or office of prophet. They don't believe there's an office of evangelist, pastor, teacher either. Uh, these are all ministry functions. So I agree these are ministry functions. And understanding the right functions is very important. Let me just give a, a fun analogy that I've used, okay? Uh, you're a pastor, and you've really got a burden to build community in your congregation. And you think, you know, the, the people don't know each other well. So you get your elders together and say, look, uh, the first Sunday of every month, 
After the service, we're going to clear the chairs, we're going to set up tables, and we're going to have a potluck meal. And every month you sit with people that you don't know, and we're going to build community together. And one of the elders who's really prophetically inclined says, Pastor, with all respect, that's not going to work. You know how much sin there is in the camp? You know how much compromise? You know how many men are into porn and women are gossiping? We need to repent first. We need to hold a series of repentance meetings. And then when we repent, then God can bless our fellowship. There's another elder who's really an evangelist. And he says, Pastor, that's immoral. There are people dying outside of our church building that have never heard the gospel once. And we're going to sit and feast while they go to hell? No, first we go out and evangelize. Then we eat. Then there's another elder who's very much called to be a teacher. And he says, Pastor, could I do a series of teachings on the meaning of the Greek word koinonia to prepare for? So, you know, each person sees things through a certain lens. And someone who's apostolic, they're not just thinking this church, they're thinking a church movement. They're thinking pioneering new movements. They're, they're thinking infiltrating territory, unreached territory with the gospel. They're, they're formulating strategies. And th- so they have a role that's important, but it, they're all functions. These are functions by which the body is edified. And if we recognize them, it's like, oh, okay, so you really are called to be a teacher. Let, let's try to round out some of your vision, but here's how you can really thrive. And oh, all right, so you've got that prophetic calling and you're going to see things a certain way, but here's how it functions. You have to have a more compassionate heart. So when we understand the functions and don't put everybody in the same little category, you're either a pastor or a teacher, there can be a lot of edification and growth, but there are functions. There are no superheroes. There is no super apostles and super prophets and the, the, the supermen and women of God. We're all servants with ministry functions. Yeah, and there, we, we actually recently did an episode that'd probably be good for people to do as a refresher. I know Michael has a question, so I'm going to toss it over to him on fivefold ministry, you know, gifts, offices, mm-hmm. personalities. We've engaged with some of that. That'd probably be fruitful for people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as, as we talk about this and the, and the office versus the function, yep. apostle, prophet, and Josh, you were talking earlier about we referenced the courts of heaven. And I know, Dr. Brown, you haven't, you haven't read that, but we searched them, but could well be. I believe Doug and Holly tried to do careful research. Yeah. The problem is, A, when people think that's mainstream, and B, when everyone is tarred and feathered, well, you're nar. And that's the concern I've had. The painting with the broad brush, the putting the worst construction on certain things, the taking the most extreme examples, and now making people mm-hmm. guilty of the whole. And it's almost like if let's say there are allegedly two or three foundational teachings of NAR and you repudiate all of them, but you work with someone that holds to one of them, or there are three sub teachings and you think one of them is true. So you deny the main ones. You think one of the three other ones is true. Now you're NAR and NAR is all bad and evil. So it becomes this guilt by association, this painting with too broad of a brush. And that's what I find to be unhelpful. And that's what the hypercritics now, and then the secular press, they take it and use it as a weapon. I read an article in Religion Unplugged the other day, and it was very positive towards me uh, and to Joe Matera, a colleague of mine, apostolic brother. And it was very positive on us and our efforts to call for prophetic accountability. And, And they spoke of both of us as NAR leaders, and then said that, <laughs> that we helped draft this prophetic declaration statement 
because of a concern about the reputation of NAR. And I wrote to the others, I said, important <laughs> article, good article. But number one, I'm not a NAR leader. And number two, NAR was never in our mind. I'm, I know it. I'm one of the drafters of the statement with Joe Matera, and then we brought in others to, to sharpen the language. I, it was about the larger charismatic movement. It, the, the quote, NAR thing never came up once, never yeah. entered our minds. But here, the article says, as NAR leaders, they were concerned about the reputation of NAR. No, we didn't think about, quote, NAR. We yeah. were thinking about the, the larger charismatic movement. When I wrote Playing with Holy Fire in, in 2018, as someone who strongly believes in prophetic ministry to this day, has been an eyewitness to wonderful, God-blessed prophetic ministry to this day, I believe in it. I believe it's valid. I believe it's scriptural. Even without contemporary experience, I just base it on scripture. Uh, when I wrote Playing with Holy Fire in 2018, I had a whole chapter on unaccountable prophets, another one on mercenary prophets. I wrote the book. It was about the charismatic movement. The subtitle is A Wake-Up Call to the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. So that's where my larger concerns are, where I see these abuses. And some of them narrowly come under this heading of, quote, NAR. The problem is they've now been painted as the larger picture of what's happening. And it's, it's very, very misleading. And it produces all kinds of fear and division unnecessarily. Yeah, Dr. Brown, let me let me uh, agree and then and then kind of maybe nuance my answer a little bit because I, I do agree that there are broad brushes being made when it comes to people being called New Apostolic Reformation. In fact, we read Doug and Holly's book um, and one of the people that was called New Apostolic Reformation was Jack Deere, who discipled both Michael Miller and Michael Rountree, although I'm pointing at the wrong Michael when I say that, Michael Rountree and Michael Miller, um, you know, uh, this guy never had an apostle over the church. He never, you know, did strategic spiritual warfare. He never believed there was like spiritual authority or power that worked through these things. Like none of the, there was no extra biblical practices or teachings. None of that took place at Wellspring or anywhere else Jack has ever been. Um, so, so it was an unfair, um, you know, uh, broad brushing because he stood next to someone who might have fallen into some of those categories. So I want to agree absolutely that that the broad brush of the title NAR is being used all the time. But I also kind of want to push back a little bit in saying that these things aren't mainstream. Um, the reason I'm saying that is all those references we gave were not from Doug and Holly. Those were from content that people have sent us saying, hey, mm -hmm. you know, you guys are pursuing charismatic stuff. Like, what do you think about Kat Kerr, who's got 400,000 views an episode? Hey, wh what about this guy, you know, on Elijah Who, list? Who's traveling to heaven and seeing... Suppose I mean, Jello kingdoms in heaven. I, I wouldn't like want to, to 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 toss you the the whole quote because again it, it's it gets it gets pretty preposterous. So, I, what I would agree though, I think that there, that might be a nuance here that there is a large and growing subculture within the charismatic community who is going rails off, and I think people are trying yeah. to figure out what that is and um, calling it NAR and calling it NAR, but then anyone exactly. who got it gets kind of close to that gets called the NAR as well. So, so part of me wants to go, you're right. It's not the vast majority of charismatics don't believe that nonsense. That's just absolute nonsense. But there is a growing movement right now that seems to keep getting more and more popular with the Trump prophecies, with these kind of, you mentioned these books that you're acknowledging they had an experience and now they're writing the entire doctrine off of I think that we all feel something in the in the water, if you will, that this is kind of getting out of hand, and it feels like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Do, do you want to speak into yeah. that a little bit before I, we? Yeah, talk absolutely. Some yeah, and I didn't assume that those were all quotes from from Doug and Holly either. Look, yeah. uh, in preparation for this meeting, where I spent four and a half hours with them, 
I, I very carefully went through uh, their their academic book where they they footnote everything to make sure that I, I understood clearly. Because when we did a podcast with Elisa Childers before, I had gone through some of their material, uh, some of the books, uh, gone to Holly's site, read some of the articles there, heard some things spoken by them. But I, I just didn't go through every page of the book. So Doug was very, very surprised that I did that meeting without carefully, carefully reading the book. And I explained when we were together. I said, I, I do dialogues all the time. I said, I've never had a debate with you guys. If, if this debate's going to look and feel totally different, trust me. I said, I never had a debate and I wasn't preparing for a debate. I thought I sufficiently understood your position, but that was a real shocker to him. So I, I made very sure uh, because we were spending so many hours that right before, the week before, once again, I went through everything as carefully, as carefully as I could. So I fully get how they see it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, In mm -hmm. other words, that people will talk about different things as similar things with different terms. And someone will call it new apostolic reformation. Someone will call it this or that. And to them, it's, it's all the same animal with different names or people, the name's already out there. Let's stay with it. So I, I was able to really see things through their eyes. And I, again, I believe in their mind that they're painting accurately. In, in their mind, they're, they're painting within the lines and painting accurately. My perspective is it's too broad a brush, as, as we've said. But here, my, my newest book, uh, releasing September 16th, so I'm not sure when, September 6th, but we've got the advanced copies, The Political Seduction of the Church, How Millions of Americans have confused politics. American Christians have confused politics with the gospel. Amen. I have one whole chapter in the book. What is it? 13, 14 chapters. One whole chapter on uh, when the prophets prophesied falsely. One whole chapter on the genesis of false prophecy. Uh, when I was interviewed about this by the New York Times, so it was a year ago, I was in the Lord 49 years then, I said, this is the worst deception I've seen in 49 years in the Lord very serious, very ugly. But in reality, if you talk to prophetic networks uh, that it, where I interviewed some of the leaders, one had a network worldwide of 4,000 prophetic leaders. He said he only knew of one person who claimed, thus saith the Lord, Trump will be elected for four more years. Uh, another network of roughly 70 prophetic leaders they told me that only a couple of their people felt that God showed them Trump would be reelected, so they never made a statement about mm. it. So even there, you could get a certain impression. It was all the prophets. It was certain circles that very much flow together, and no question fell into mass deception together. And they were loud. Drank the Kool-Aid yeah. together in a very dangerous way. And, and I, I just tweeted before we started, that it was bad enough, because I just did a show talking about some of these things, it was bad enough that so many prophesied falsely. It's even worse now, two years later, almost all of them have not acknowledged their error and not repented. So it's very dangerous, very bad. That being said, as, as much as I grieve over the bizarre, ridiculous teachings of Kat Kerr, I do not believe for a second she's going to heaven every day and getting these revelations from Jesus. I've spoken about it on the air by name. It's oh, so in you my caught book. who you were talking about. By I wasn't name. sure if you had hit that corner of YouTube yet. <laughs> oh, no, I, I uh, well, no, I, I was sent clips. I don't watch this stuff. Sure, yeah, uh, I, no. I was sent clips. I looked at them. Um, Hank Kuhneman, I tried to reach out to behind the scenes as graciously as I could on two different occasions, received no response. So I publicly 
said, look, he said this will happen this month, this month. It didn't happen. Uh, yeah. He's telling people, don't touch God's anointing. It's, it's dangerous. You're in churches like that. Get yeah, out. Yeah, we did the same thing. Uh, yeah. Johnny Enlow. So these are, these are people with bizarre. He has a vision last year of, of Trump sitting enthroned in heaven, crowned by God as a legitimate president. I mean, this is grossly Ew. deceptive, dangerous stuff. That being said, it is worldwide, if you went to charismatics all around the world and mentioned, say, the name of Cat Kerr, 99% of them, whatever the stats would be, would, don't know who she is. And if you yeah. say, have you heard the teaching about the afterlife of pets? It's like, who is even talking? I mean, it's so fringe. So yes, yeah. there is yeah. stuff out there that is dangerous. But if you talk about the carnal prosperity movement worldwide, oh, that's a real problem. Okay, Charismatic right. church worldwide, that's a real problem in Africa, yeah. Asia. That's why I've been addressing it uh, since in writing since 1989, 1990. And, right. and so there are other things. Um, people just get involved in different aspects of charismania, uh, different bizarre practices. Right. Those things are more widespread. Some of this stuff is serious deception, uh, uh, stuff on Elijah list, serious error, shouldn't be publicized, shouldn't be out there. I'm grieved over it as an insider. But most of it I only find out about when, when, when a clip will get to me, a friend or colleague will, will send it to me because we have endless stuff sent to the ministry. We can't look at all of it. None of the people I, I work with closely uh, or work with even broadly would go near this stuff. They're right. like, what? This is crazy. They, they repudiate it. So yeah. in, in my world, it's like, what is that? I'm as, I'm as repulsed by it as any, but oh. I know there's legitimate prophetic ministry happening, which I'm thankful for. And, and I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. Well, what I hear you saying, uh, Dr. Brown, is it, there are some real abuses in the charismatic church. There was uh, the Trump prophecy, charismania, there's prosperity gospel, there's Kat Kerr. So there's four things right there that we just kind of named. And I think what I hear you saying is like, let's just not uh, create the trash bucket called NAR and throw that plus a thousand other things into it. So, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're kind of on the same page in terms of like, we do think there's an uh, overly broad brushstroke. I, I feel like uh, if they even just maybe didn't name names, except for like the super egregious, like borderline heretics or something like that, because I felt like a lot of the names that they named were kind of like, ah, I don't know if that, if that really fits, but like just, just focusing on, on like the real meaty content of the book, Josh and I, I think we're both on the same page and I feel like you are too, Dr. Brown, uh, that when it comes to ecclesiological structure, having, say, an apostle at the top who's sort of the boss, senior CEO over everybody else, and if you just obey him, then you'll fall under his apostolic blessing and mantle, um, that, that that's no good, uh, number one. Number two, uh, that uh, apostles and prophets who have extra-biblical practices we listed a bunch of them, but just this idea that there are extra biblical practices, uh, that that's, that's no good. Uh, any notion that elevates the apostle to somehow being like the level of the 12, so it's, that's no good. It's an ecclesiological structure for first, first that they say, they'll say, hey, there's an apostle directly under the apostles, a senior pastor, and then that senior pastor governs his church, and he's submitted to that apostle. And then they'll say, the second thing is that there's some kind of spiritual thing tied to that. So like that model that I just explained, 
man, tons of big non-denom churches have that kind of ecclesiological model where there's one mm, Southern Baptist sen- basically yeah. led by a senior pastor. One senior leader might, well, there'd be congregational. It'd be a little bit different, but, but still there are tons yes, of non-denom true. churches that have one guy in charge and he's a CEO model. But functionally, but functionally, right. but then tying to that, that second point is that there's a spiritual overflow that comes from that. And then supernatural. The, and then the third one being that there are new doctor, new doctrines, new practices that are given by apostles and prophets. Now, you might might even say, hey, there's a lot of a different ecclesiological structures in the body of Christ. That first one's kind of hard to quibble over, um, though I can make, I think, a biblical argument that I don't like that one. Uh, but it does seem as if you disagree with new doctrines, spiritual authorities coming from that system. I, you know, it seems as if those are easy, as if you keep all three of them together to say, if you fulfill all three of these things, then we'll, we'll call you NAR. You would not be comfortable with that, it sounds like, though. Yeah, so, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I, I've read the book super carefully, other stuff they've written, read that, uh, spent four and a half hours face-to-face, plus the Lisa Childers podcast. And there, even still, if I was going to examine someone to see, okay, according to Doug and Holly, is this person NAR? I I actually did that. I did it with a colleague of mine who was listed in their book. Hmm. So I sent him questions and said, hey, do you believe that church must be governed by apostles and prophets? Do you believe? And I I risked all the questions. And then I sent them to Doug and Holly anonymously saying, hey, I I don't want to tell you who this person is, but tell me if you think they're NAR. Because just wanted that evaluated. Maybe they were, and that's why they're in the book. Maybe their views change, but I didn't want it colored. They thought to be fair, they needed to know who it was so they could compare the research, but I wasn't asking that question. So we, we mm. missed each other on that, sincerely. But they told me I didn't ask the right questions. And I thought, okay, I'm not criticizing them. I don't, again, say it like a broken record. I believe in their sincerity and there's some real issues and problems that they've rightly addressed. And part of my appeal to them was if we could get rid of the NAR terminology and talk about some abuses associated with modern day teaching on apostles and prophets, make it more broad, then we can really focus on the issues. And because otherwise there's this constant battle of NAR, does it exist, does it not exist? And, and the way the hypercritics have used it in the secular media and the way it's being, the, the fires are being fed and fueled. So I said, if we could get rid of that, then it's easier for us to really focus on the substantive issues. But here's what I'm thinking. I, I'm not an ignorant person. I'm not, I'm not foolish. My brain works. I'm in the word, trying to understand. I now ask questions to define whether someone's nor not, and I'm told they weren't the right questions. Well, if it's got to be that precise, then we can't use this massively broad brush. So do I believe that there are apostolically anointed people that God uses to start, say, church planting movements? And this person is the spiritual father over the movement. And, and the people that are raised up, maybe a hundred churches under this person really look to them as a spiritual father. And if this person came in and said, there's an issue here and we need to deal with it. And, and there's sin in the camp. We need to deal with this. Well, they're going to carry weight because of their position as a spiritual yeah. father pioneer. So you mm-hmm. have that structure. Yeah, I'm all for it. That's why I say, I believe it's been here through church history. If you say, Every local church needs to be under an apostle. No, I, that, is, that is, first, to me, not scriptural. And second, not recognizing the diversity. 
of how God works in his body, in his family, around the world. The reason the New Testament says so little about details of structure of church leadership, as missiologists have pointed out, is because it has to be able to function in a thousand different cultures. And, and so it has to have a certain flexibility, just like how to do a worship service, you know, lay that mm -hmm. out scripturally. You know, there's tremendous flexibility for good reason. But you see, here's, right. here's where I think people miss. If, if I sat and went through other teaching, Calvinist teaching, cessationist teaching, Southern Baptist teaching, a bunch of different things, then put it under one heading and then pulled out all the worst of it. But they have certain things in common. They're reformed in their theology by and large. They're cessationists. Uh, they believe in autonomy of a local church, you know, whatever the thing is that, that they have in common. And I'm, I'm just throwing these things out, not necessarily to be precise. I could make them look really, really bad. And okay, so if you're a cessationist, look at all the sex scandals. What do you mean? Well, Southern Baptists, and that's the largest Protestant denomination. So therefore, if you're a cessationist, there are sex scandals in your midst. You know, or I could take the hypercritics, they're cessationists, and their videos trashing people and mocking people in the most unchristian spirit and in, in inaccurately presenting things. And, oh, well, you're a hypercritic. Uh, think of it like this. Those of us who are white evangelicals who voted for Trump, so the guy who wrote the political seduction of the church, I voted for Trump twice, we are all white supremacists, insurrectionists, Christian nationalists. We have all been branded that, and, and that's just how we're viewed. I said to Doug and Holly, if you say to a bunch of young mothers and expectant mothers, uh, many white men are sexual predators, not all, but many, how are they going to look at every single white man that they meet, right? So in the same way, this is the issue. That I, see, I see firsthand the hysteria. The fear, the nar, nar, and, and it's not real. It's not realistic. Because of that, it's harder now to deal with the real issues and the real abuses and mm. the real concerns and the things that really are bad that I'm 100% with Doug and Holly, and I want to do whatever I can to, to work with them to confront these things from the inside. Mm. Okay. So, doc, so, Dr. Brown, if we're in agreement that having uh, this sort of authoritarian-like, ecclesiological, hierarchical, apostles at the top sort of structure where the blessings just trickle down. And if we're uh, against this new teachings that apostles and prophets supposedly bring, whether it be strategic level, spiritual warfare, whatever else it is, if we're against the same kinds of abuses and the charismania that we've talked about, why don't we just label it something? Because I've heard you say no to the broad brushstroke, and I think we're saying yes and amen. We think that's dangerous because good men uh, and some women get thrown completely under the bus, that we don't think that's fair. Uh, on the other hand, historically, the church has labeled a Marcionite by saying, hey, that's Marcionism. They've labeled an Arian by saying that's Arianism. And, and on down through the list in church history, we, we have painted it with a brush. So it, it seems like, and I can almost hear Doug and Holly maybe pushing back or, or just anybody. And we want to avoid a broad brushstroke. We want to avoid 
no brush. Like, if we disagree with these category with these categories that I've named, why not just label it something? And if you don't like the label NAR, why not label it something different? Yeah, I would say label it something different. We have the charismatic Pentecostal movement. We have the reformed you know, believers. We have all kinds of broad names. I, I, I've got no problem with that. So Doug and Holly would say, well, the name is already here and it describes what we're talking about. Use it. I would say no, New Apostolic Reformation is coined by Peter Wagner had a very specific meaning to it and, and very specific ideas about it. You know, he, he led the U.S. Coalition of Apostles. I was never involved with it, uh, knew folks that were in it, but was never involved, never became a member. When my friend Bishop Joe Matera took it over, changed the name to U.S. Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, made clear where he appreciated good things Peter Wagner did, as I did, and, and had profound differences on others, as I did. At that point, I said, oh, yeah, glad to be a part of it, you know, in, in fellowship and working together with some fine men and women. And, and here, here's what I, I said to Doug and Holly. I will gladly defend everything I hold to and believe as a Pentecostal charismatic. And I'm on record as saying I, I will debate any qualified theologian, scholar, cessationist on, on continuationism. I'd do it every day if, if I could. Absolutely. I would gladly even defend, although it's not a hill I want to die on, gladly defend that there are apostles and prophets today just based on scripture, scripture alone. I said, why then am I pushing back against this NAR thing? It's not just that the hypercritics falsely call me NAR because I get lied about every day by the hour, people posting false stuff about me and false, you know, ugly comments and this. So that comes with the turf. That's not a big deal. Yeah. I use myself as an illustration to say, hey, I'm not in your book. I don't qualify as NAR based on your definitions, right? And, and yet it's wielded against me. So it's, it's wielded against others. Every person that I know that I've talked to, so it's not everybody in their book by any means, but every person that they cite in their book that I've talked to says, what is NAR? What is this thing they're talking about? In other words, none of them that are allegedly the leaders in NAR think that, quote, NAR is being fairly or rightly defined. Right. So that and that, that, happens, that happens a lot, right? Because like we have groups that'll, you know, like if I went to an evangelical church today and I went up to them and I said, hey, man, are you dispensational? And they go, no, no, I'm not. I'm not dispensational. I'm not dispensational. And you're like, well, what, what do you believe about Israel? And, and what do you believe about the end times? And what do you believe about, uh, you know, the construction of another temple? And you start asking those questions and you get answers and you go, hey, man, this is what dispensationals believe. And they don't know it because it's a new term that's being, well, obviously dispensational is not a new term, but, you know, uh, NAR, new it, it seems it's new yeah. to them. So I, I, I do like the fact that you're like, hey, we, we should mark it and we should say it's something. And I also... I think I actually agree that the term NAR has been used so broadly by the cancel culture mob of cessationism um, that that it's probably lost its fruitfulness. It's no longer helpful. The the charismatic has a kind of like like uh, you know like a beat dog reflex to it. Like you can't <laughs> receive anything from a person who's saying NAR. And and again, that makes sense why we would want to avoid that and try to try to find characteristics and in, in, in language to frame it. And the origin of, of C. Peter Wagner, I think, is, is important as well to say, hey, he coined this. This is what he was talking about. Let's use his categories. So, so that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, and, and let me just say this. Go ahead. I, I was very happy to have this conversation when asked to. Yeah. Um, and, and I wrote an article subsequent to, to my meeting with Doug and Holly 
respectfully saying they believe this, I believe this, they see it this way, I see it this way. Um, but let's focus on on the abuses, on the issues. So for for those that are that are watching, to to know my heart on this, I want to focus on the abuses and the issues because they are real yeah. and they need to be addressed. And some of them are very dangerous and genuine cause for concern. It just becomes difficult to do it because of terminology that's being used or people wrongly being grouped together or worse construction being put on certain things. So let, let's find out what's really happening, Agreed. what's really going on. And then let's address it as, as one. I, I told some folks who were very, very strong critics, very, very strong cessationists. Um, I, I did a dialogue with them that Brandon facilitated. This was private off record. Um, but I said, hey, I'm, I'm your friend. I'm your ally. I'm not your enemy. You see something that's out there because I don't see most of it. I'd be on someone's TV show. They said, do you know they said, No, I didn't know. I never watched the show. I know, yeah. I, you know I don't watch Christian TV. No disrespect to the good shows out there, but I don't, I don't watch it. So do you know Remnant Radio? No, I didn't know. <laughs> I know the guys that seem like good guys, you know, so that, that'll happen. So anyway, I said, you see something really egregious. Tell me. Yeah. And, and I'll act on it. I'll do something about it. Or I'll pray about writing on, you know, addressing. You know, so that's what I've told others. You see a problem. Uh, you know, some folks said, Dr. Brown, maybe you don't know what's on the certain TV show. The brother is a friend of yours. Maybe you don't know what's on the show. And they did like an hour, 40 minute video compilation. I sent it to that brother. I sent it to his, uh, to keep people in the organization. I sent it and said, hey, you know, do a better job vetting. So I'm, I'll gladly be a conduit in a constructive, healthy way to address abuses, but we've got to do it in a constructive way. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's good. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier you get accused a lot, Dr. Brown. We, we did a, a review of your prophetic uh, standard statement. Uh, Michael signed it, I think, actually. Uh, yeah. we, we liked the, the statement. We liked the heart of it. We liked the, what the, the text itself said. Someone came out and maligned what was being said. We did a little bit of research. The person who maligned it actually signed a statement of faith that has almost the exact same paragraph in it. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you look like you're guilty, Dr. Brown, because you think that God can lie because prophecy can be erred. And then it's like we pulled their statement of faith right next to yours. Uh, not that yours was a statement of faith, but the prophetic standard right, statement. Right. Pulled them right next to each other and showed, mm, you signed, a and I went and talked to their denominational leaders to make sure that they signed the statement saying they believe that. It was, it was just funny. We showed it on air. And it wasn't funny to mock or to laugh, but to say, look how easy we are to make accusations and accuse people because of their associations or their verbiage and make a straw man rather than taking their best intentions in heart the, the vast scope yeah. of their ministry before we're judging a single yeah. moment and and I, I just want to say yes and amen to that i think that's a great place to yeah. land and wrap this up and um can i add to yeah, I, and this is just for our cessationist brothers and sisters just i i think that maybe this would help them understand charismatics a little bit better charismatics tend to be um more easily associate with one another than cessationists. That's I, right. I, I just think that's true. Oh, yeah. and, um, and, and so charismatics will get criticized like, oh, you, you know, you shared this or that with that person. You, I saw you in a photograph with that person. You shook this person's hand. Your thumbnail said Toronto blessing. They didn't watch the video. No. They have no context of whether we were right. pro, pro so or against. I, 
<laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the, the thing is, charismatics do tend to be a little looser in their associations. I, sometimes that can be a bad thing. And sometimes that can be a good thing. I think thing. associations are good. Yeah. I, I, let me give you an example. Yeah. Uh, just a couple quick comments as, as we kind of wrap things up. Um, Dr. James White and I are good friends. So he's yeah. a cessationist Calvinist. We've debated against each other on Calvinism and subsets of that. And then our great joy is when we debated side by side, the two of us against two others that we differed with. I mean, we love mm-hmm. that. Like James said, it's, it's you know, one mind and two voices. We're so much in harmony. He gets blasted for being my friend. <laughs> yeah. Blasted for being my friend. He he is he is a heretic. Some have said he's a heretic because he's my friend, right? Hmm. I never get blasted for being his friend. <laughs> Almost <laughs> I mean, point. here it, here and there. He could be part of here NAR there, but, and not know. It. That's right. so true. Exactly. It's the only time James White was accused right. of NAR. <laughs> right. Uh, so 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 the, the the point is the point is that in my broader charismatic circles there we had james preach at my home church Mm. teach at our school uh, but in person on a sunday preach at my home church and he was welcomed warmly brought a great a great message and he said boy people were taking that in more than in most churches where he he preaches Mm. so there can be the broadness love acceptance that's good that's healthy the weakness is we can be very gullible in the charismatic movement yeah, because we are believers, because we trust God, because we get out of the boat when we hear Jesus and we walk on the water when he tells us to. So we're people of faith, but the weakness is gullibility. We're Amen. people that say, hey, God's big and his body is big. That's good. The weakness is lack of discernment. On the flip mm-hmm. side, in the cessationist camp, there's the strength of being more circumspect, there's the strength of being more exegetically careful. There's the, the strength of, of, of being more uh, astute about working closely with people. But there's the weakness of cynicism, the weakness of skepticism, uh, the weakness of lack of faith that in that sense steps out of the boat, and, and the lack of love. So look, I mentioned people by name on the air today that I differ with. May God grant them repentance so that they can be everything God's called them to Amen. be. When, when I journal something alone with God, if I have a concern about a particular individual, let's say we, we had an argument, I journal with respect about alone before the Lord. If I pray for them, I say, Lord, you know their heart. Where they're doing good, confirm them. Where they're doing wrong, show them and bring them to repentance. And please do the same for me. So I, I am, I'm appealing that we do our best to, to walk in love and think the best of one another. And when I see someone that messes up, if I've known them, my assumption is they love the Lord, they're good people, they made an error here, as opposed to they are wolves, they are this, they are that. But you know, years ago, I was invited to be on Benny Hinn's show. I hadn't followed his ministry in, in years. And I had played quotes from him on the radio in the past and said, this is really dangerous doctrine, only to find out that he had repudiated those things. And even one of his critics said he never returned to that particular teaching. Then a friend said, hey, I've gotten to know Benny Hinn. He's very different than you think. You should get to know him. I thought, okay, I don't know anything about the man. I thought I knew this and that. I haven't followed his ministry at all for years and years. So when I was invited on the show, I thought, 
if I could reach his audience and talk to them about XYZ issues, it's worth it. Well, I did not realize the degree of controversy that surrounded him and the degree of controversy that would come to me. Was it a poor decision? Yeah, in retrospect, it was. In retrospect, I, I, I shouldn't have done it even to try to reach his audience with a certain message. In retrospect, okay, fine. We had great time before the show and then no contact after. Someone sent me a really bad video with a guy prophesying that to avoid disaster, this coming disaster, give this amount of money to his ministry. So I wrote to him. That's the first abuse I saw after the show. I wrote to him and I appealed to him to, to, to change this, etc. But we've had no contact, never heard back, had no contact. To this moment, I saw it the other day, don't listen to Michael Brown. He hangs out with Benny Hinn. Mm. Now, wherever Benny Hinn's repented of things or, you know, there have been many things in recent years, may, may, may he walk that out. May the Lord bless him as he does. All right. But I said, yeah, probably a bad decision to be on the show, but I did it to reach his audience to this day. Widespread. Type in my name, his name. You'll see it all over. That's not being Christian. That's no. not walking it's bearing in false truth. witness. It's sin. Or the, it is. It's bearing so. I said to some cessationists, and I'll, I'll, I'll shut up here. I said to some cessationists, I absolutely agree. You show me this crazy thing on TV and that crazy thing. I agree. That is bogus. That is stupid. That is ridiculous. Someone asked me the other day, what about this charismatic practice they saw, this fringe thing? And I, I posted, it is, it, is, it is irreverent. It is indecent it is i mean really really strong and they said well someone you know once said that i wrote to them immediately said hey i just called this out and they said hey i regret that it was a stupid thing and it never should have happened i'm not gonna pull punches there are dangerous junk out there but it's also yeah. dangerous to bear false witness proverbs yeah, six it's one of the things that god hates and to sow division among brothers so there are things in the, the, the camp of the hypercritics i'm not putting doug and holly in that camp i'm not the camp of the hypercritics and many cessationists that's just as dangerous, maybe even more ugly in God's sight. So let's let the, the light of the Holy Spirit shine on each of us. Let's get low. Let's honor each other, learn from each other. And where there are problems, let's work together to fix them. Yeah, Dr. Brown, that's a great place to end. So, I mean, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We respect and honor you so much and contributions that you've had to the, the Pentecostal charismatic space. It's an example for all of us. Um, but, but also if you're out there and you're like, hey, I want to grow – uh, in my spiritual gifts, in my discernment, I want to encourage you to check out the Remnant Radio Word and Spirit School of Ministry. Uh, we just put together uh, 117 videos that are kind of, hey, we teach you the videos, you watch the videos, then you break out into live Q&A with your instructors on the weekends. Uh, after that, you have small group breakouts. So you, it's a very involved discipleship process. So we're not trying to like just talk at you, give you information, but we're trying to create a discipleship program that gives you kind of a spiritual transformation. We talk about discernment. We talked about uh, a new age stuff. We talk about demonic. We talk about tongues, prophecy, healing, all of these things included in that course. And man, all the charismatic guys on the show have been endorsing it. We've got guys like Chris Reed endorsed it recently. We had Mike Bickle endorse it. Uh, we had a uh, uh, man... Uh, trying to think Sam Storms, Jack Deere, Craig Keener, uh, wonderful program. Uh, so if you haven't and you're interested in growing and developing those spiritual gifts and discernment muscles, you don't want to go too far out into that hyper charismatic or gnarly land, depending on what we want to call it, check out the Word and Spirit School of Ministry. Uh, anyway, that's my, my last plug there. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for coming on. Once again, it's an honor to have you. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Blessings. Bless. We'll see you. 
Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.